There are those who revel in a day like today, those who adore the wonder of the Easter festival, flowers, music, families gather, roasted leg of lamb, the Easter bonnet, the bow tie. There are those who can't wait to break out the pastels. But, but frankly, many of them might be quite skeptical about the foundational assertion of the feast, as in, I'm great with the Easter eggs, I'm great with the hunt later on, but, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, let's leave that to the preacher and maybe my neighbor's grandmother. You know them. Those who look forward to a day like today, but have little patience with those who keep shouting, he is risen deep into the 50-day season. So it's all the more important to, to remember, just to take a moment and remember the many over the last 2,000 years who have not struggled in a similar way. The many who instead built a full life on the founding and guiding truth of Christ's resurrection, experiencing in the present the full joy of the first Easter day. There were the eyewitnesses, Mary, mother of James, Mary of Magdala, Salome. There were the early martyrs, Stephen, Ignatius, Polycarp, Cyprian, Blandina, St. Peter's wife, Felicity, Cecilia, Perpetua and her companions, Catherine of Alexandria, and yet later, great prophets, visionaries, and theologians, St. John Chrysostom, Thomas Aquinas, Mechthild of Magdeburg, Julian of Norwich, Hildegard of Bingen, Joan of Arc, Sojourner Truth, Edith Stein, Flannery O'Connor, C.S. Lewis, John Updike, Martin Luther King Jr., these are just a few, but representative of the many who embraced the faith and saw the faith as having consequences for day-to-day -day living right now and believed that this faith was in every way necessarily grounded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the promise of eternal life. Those who would choose the hollow trappings of the celebration over the searing, compelling audacity of the resurrection often imagine that the events of Holy Week are optional at best. They, they, they can harbor a quiet but stubborn insistence that things will get better if, if people will just be good enough, if people will just be kind enough, if people will just learn to love enough, then there'd be no need for the intervention of crucifixion and resurrection. But it must be clear by now that if left to our own devices, love will not win. The good in creation spoken at God's first breath will not rise to the top of its own accord. The evidence of just how broken the world is continues to mount. Those, those who want to talk about the general upward lift of enlightenment or the constant continuing moral improvement of humanity, they must overlook Ukraine. 
They, they must look past the covenant school. They must look beyond government failure to limit the general population's access to guns and ammunition. They must look past the abuse of authorized street power, domestic violence, sexual harassment, ecological degradation, and the continuing insistence of those made in the image of God who divide and conquer by race, class, ability, age, gender identity, education, experience, and decorum. The ancient prophets had warned of all the ways in which humanity was falling short of the mark. But their voices of warning, caution, and judgment also announced remedy. A Messiah would come. A Messiah who would bless and heal and save. All roads were leading to Jerusalem, the cross and the empty tomb. A sacrifice would be made for sin. The harrowing of hell would have the barrier of time yield to the expanse of grace. The resurrection of the Messiah would inaugurate the, the much longed for creation-wide healing. The fulfillment of that prophecy was prefigured over and over and over again. Th think, of, think of Abraham and Isaac and, and the ram in the thicket. Think of Joseph thrown in the pit, later elevated to leadership in Egypt. Think Jonah three days in the belly of the whale, or Ezekiel in the dry bones, or Zephaniah and the gathering of the lame, the exiled, and those who suffered shame. Everything was pointing in the direction of Jerusalem, the cross, and the empty tomb. The crumbs they dropped along the way, they were meant to help the reader of Scripture recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every aspect of every story tumbled headlong toward the coming cataclysmic execution and burial of the Messiah. The prefiguring, the crumbs, they, they, were, they were all about helping the world begin to anticipate the healing begin to anticipate the new day that would come with the resurrection of the Messiah whom the world had rejected. The, cr the crumbs, they're, they're all throughout Scripture. They're, they're all around you even now. They're there to take you deep into the heart of the tomb. Monday, Thursday evening, we picked up a few of those crumbs here at Christ Church. That night, Dr. Paula Smith, the senior pastor at Gordon Memorial United Methodist Church, stopped in for worship at 6 p.m. She spent the day in the gallery over at the state capitol watching the debate around the impending expulsion of the young black state representatives, and she was exhausted. She, she was in tears and she had a long weekend yet ahead of her. The next morning she wrote to me, I, I, I needed to get to church. 
And, and from that moment, the moment that I entered the Christ Church nave, I felt the presence of God. The sounds, the rhythms, the, the liturgy, the spoken and sung word transported me back to my childhood. Tears flowed freely. The rituals, the, the foot washing, the Holy Communion, even the passing of the peace allowed me to shift my thoughts and attention to the amazing grace of God, his love for me and the world, and to the sacrifice Jesus made to save a wretch like me. Crumbs, crumbs that pointed her afresh to the resurrection. Good Friday, those crumbs would multiply as clergy and people from across seven different congregations, some majority black, some majority white congregations. They, they gathered at Gordon to remember the last seven words of Jesus from the cross. It was an unlikely bit of heaven, but a crumb nonetheless, a crumb to set the palate for what can be and what will be. Do you see this? Because the Messiah lives, you will walk two miles when you've only been asked to walk one. Because the Messiah lives, you will give the coat off your back even though they've only asked for the shirt. Because the Messiah lives, you will turn the other cheek. But be, be, be careful here. Uh, be, be careful. It doesn't work the other way around. You could turn your cheek a hundred times and it won't bring Jesus back from the grave. Because he lives, you'll turn the other cheek. Because the Messiah lives and because you call him Lord, you move through life with the assurance that no power, no principality, no force of evil, no mountain of fear will ever destroy your allegiance to and love for him. We've been lost. We've been, we've been battered from pillar to post. We, we've absorbed loss after loss, defeat after defeat. The spirit of despair pervades every report from yesterday and most anticipate reports for tomorrow. This year, there's no need to ask about what the resurrection is or, or what it means. Everything has pointed to this moment in history when Jesus rose from the grave, defeated death, and offered the world the healing it so desperately needs. That work then is playing out in your life now. He has risen and taken hell captive. He has risen and freed you to live in the abundant life. He has risen and because the Messiah lives, you can hope, you can serve, you can work for the celebration of human dignity and rest in the prophets of old. Hallelujah, I say, Christ is risen. Let the church say amen. amen. Let the church say amen. amen. Let the church say amen. Happy Easter.